Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we are celebrating World Down Syndrome Day. In this episode, we're joined by Eric Rubenstein. We've had Eric on our podcast a few times, but this time he is joining us with his research group. We were invited to be a part of their monthly meeting. This is one of those If We Knew Then moments because... Talking to the group of researchers, if we would have had this conversation 13 years ago when Liam was born, I think it would have obliterated a lot of the fears that were instilled in us. In this episode's show notes, we have two important links. The first link is information to a webinar that the co-researchers are doing with experts on March 21st from 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the other link is for the co-researcher survey so that they can get information from the community. So welcome, Eric Rubenstein and friends. Stephen and Lori are hosts of the If We Knew Then podcast about Down syndrome. Um, It's about advocacy and parenting that shares different conversations about support, therapies, and different things for um, the Down syndrome community. And they just celebrated their 133rd episode, I believe. So they've been doing this for a while. Congratulations. Um, we're really, really happy to have you both here, and we'll turn it over to you. Can you introduce yourselves, and we can um, go around and introduce ourselves, too. Yeah, I'm Stephen Sox and Lori I'm Sox. I'm Sox. And we have a son who just turned 13 last week, a week ago today, uh, Liam. And we really knew nothing about Down syndrome prior to Liam being born. And so as soon as we got a diagnosis for Liam, about 10 days after he was born, we tried to gather as much information as we could. And a there lot of the information was not, not that great. It wasn't uplifting. There wasn't a lot I of think uplifting. I being kind. Thing. I don't think that there was anything of hope. The tone that we experienced in the NICU, the shift of tone, um, just didn't really coincide at all with what we were witnessing our son, who was born at 30 weeks, what he was demonstrating before our eyes, as far as, you know, his body developing, his just not needing oxygen, just different strength that he had. It wasn't matching the shift in tone from like the nurses and doctors or the information that we were being given. Yeah. If I had to uh, just go by the information I was searching for and gathering and people were giving me, I wouldn't have envisioned a group of co-researchers like yourselves that are moving, you know, in a direction like you are. I wouldn't have imagined my son where he is now. So we've said it several times on the podcast that we're seeing great uh, leaps and bounds with people in our community, and the chromosome hasn't changed. It's the way we're letting people with Down syndrome be their We're best. not doing it. It's the way, it's the changes in society, society I think. I, mean, I yes. think it's the changes in society and the fact that, you know, I'm not a big social media person, but I believe that social media has played a really great part in breaking down the barriers because there's different images and there's different stories that can be brought to light. 
you know, um, sitting in IEPs with my son fighting for his education. When we first started, it was, you know, we had to have, we had to have a lawyer the whole time, but we had to have a lawyer and it was more me reaching beyond the barriers that were being set for him without any grounds. There was no, it's like, to me, they were, they were, they were putting stuff on my son that there's nothing, they couldn't prove it. They were just saying these things and I was supposed to, and unfortunately a lot of parents do, I was supposed to just, you know, own them and, and take that baton and carry it. And when I, when I first set out, it was more, um, from coming from hope and knowing and seeing my son and how hard he worked and, you know, his milestones and the challenges he overcame and just knowing that that was, I was going to focus on his ability. Now, you know, I can sit in an IEP and I can say, I want an inclusive classroom for my child. I want him to access the curriculum. I want him to, you know, if he chooses to go to college to have that foundation beneath him. And here are some of the other people who have gone before him that have done it. And still, when I have those uh, references, it still catches people off guard. You know, they'll be like, Oh, I didn't know that. But now it's like the proof is in the pudding. You know, you can't, you can't like right deny. Here. Yeah, ex- yeah. Like this, I want a photo of, of this panel. I want a photo of this panel because it's, for me, just uh, when I see different message boards and, you know, parents that that are only getting that initial message that we got, I just, I want them to see and to know what I believe is the real story, what is the narrative, um, not what's really unfoundedly being passed down. Yeah, so we're really grateful to be here I'm today. so happy to be here and see all of you guys. Yeah, of course. We're really glad to have you. And Let's go around and everyone can introduce themselves really quickly. We have a mix of our co-researchers and different research assistants on the team. So um, I can start. My name is Ashley. I'm a project coordinator, just assisting the co-research team since the beginning, since July, we've been meeting. Um, I'm going to go around and have all of our co-researchers first introduce themselves, uh, maybe say what state you live in. Um, So maybe we'll start with Kaylee. Hi, I'm Kaylee, but my friends and family calls me KK, and I live in Manhattan Beach, California. I'm Benjamin. I live in California, in Irvine, Orange County. I'm Bruce Augusta. I'm from Maryland. Hi, I'm Eden Rapp. I'm from California. I'm in school in Wisconsin. I'm Alexis. I live in Northborough, Massachusetts. And last but not least, Kata, who I think you've already met. Yep. I'm Kata, and I'm I, I, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Ryan. I, uh, I'm a research assistant on the co-researcher team. I uh, am getting a master's of public health at Boston University. Hi, everyone. I've been a research assistant working with Eric since February of 2021, and I went to BU for undergrad, so I'm kind of in between undergrad and grad school right now. I'm Anna Maria. I'm um, a graduate student at uh, the School of Public Health, and I started working with Eric in, I think, the summer of 2021, and Alexis as well, starting a um, co-researcher training program with the Special Olympics of Massachusetts. I'm Karen, and I'm a research fellow. I uh, just completed my MPH in December, and I've been with Eric since October. 
I'm Krisha. I also graduated from BU undergrad last year, so I'm also in between undergrad and grad school, and I think I've been with Eric since like November 2020 now. It's been a very long time. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm here too, Eric. We've been seeing him. I've been on the podcast before. Now I have all the people that actually do my work here. So I'll just sit down and sit back and let them talk about all the work that I take credit for that they do. Uh, <laughs> you'll see really how the sausage is made here, where I just sit in and talk on podcasts and they do all the hard work. Well, when we first talked to you, Eric, you had the concept of this and you guys had met maybe one time. But uh, I don't even think at that point you had come up with what your mission was going to be or, or what your focus is going to be. And um, I think we talked about that it was going to be maybe uh, focusing on mental health. Is that kind of where you're at now? So, so in our first, maybe first or second meeting, the, the group decided what they were interested in and, and mental health jumped to the front. Does anyone want to share why mental health was important and a topic that you wanted to explore as part of the co-research team? Kaylee, how about you? Why, why was mental health important? I think that may have been something you brought up. Yeah. Personally, it doesn't affect me, but when I'm with my friends, uh, sometimes they feel like lonely or depressed. So sometimes we talk about things together. So that means a lot to me. And I don't want them to be alone. This is scary for a lot of people like that. Especially in our um, world that we have, that small or big, whatever it is. I thought that was very interesting that you guys um, chose that because... You know, one of the things I think, at least from a parent's point of view, that we're told uh, about maybe one of the positive things of someone with Down syndrome is that, wow, they're always happy. Well, I don't think any stereotype is positive. No, <laughs> I just, right. I think it's like it's confining. And I, and, and the, I think the challenge with that is we experience, you know, if Liam has a challenge um, in school or a transition, not at his new school, his new school is just so inclusive and intuitive. But he would just be held to this bar of right or wrong, which very few children in elementary school are held to such a high bar as Liam was. Like kids get away with being kids. And it was never considered that Liam might have been having a bad day. Somebody might have hurt his feelings. He might have gotten in a fight with his sister. He might feel overwhelmed by his, you know, workload. None of that was ever taken into consideration. It was just right or wrong, good or bad. And so I love the the fact of mental health coming into the conversation because I feel like after the pandemic, there was such a spotlight put on everyone's mental health in the world. And I don't believe that it was my son was given the same opportunity to heal from the pandemic, you know, to have those expressions of other emotions. And so I love that this is something that you're exploring and researching. And since we're on a podcast, do you want to read your comment? I think mental health is important because I learned from being on the theme that 80% of people with Down syndrome are likely to get Alzheimer. And I would like to help calm that down from this group. Great job, Eden. Thank you. So they raised a good point about the pandemic. And part, so, sort of a thing that we're doing, we're, we're working on this survey to learn about mental health is strategies and ways to help your mental health. What did you all learn or, or hobbies or activities during the pandemic that you still use to maintain some some good mental health? Kid, I know you like to, you have a ton of stuff that you do that keeps you, keeps you grounded. 
Yes. I always uh, like to put jigsaw puzzles uh, together to help calming down. And also coloring is a part of that as well, because I also like to color. I also like to do word searches and crossword puzzles and also knit and listening to music and talking to people who I feel really close with. Can I also add to that what I did during COVID? It was a really hard time for me, so... And I like staying inside no matter what. I'm an indoors and outdoors kind of person. So it's me. I watch movies that calms me down. Or with my family, we cook together. Or we do, like, something really fun, like dancing. Like, in the middle of COVID, my sister made it really fun when we were cleaning the house. And I call it, it's like my Disneyland right here. Because it's the people that you love. That's all about. And some people go separated, but with us, we're not. We're like really close family, and we do things together and play card games or board games, charades, anything that's really fun to keep us really excited for things. So it makes it really fun to do things with the family. And I also FaceTime a lot of my friends out of the country. Sometimes FaceTime can be, like, too much for everyone with big groups. But if, like, it's a little bit or whoever it is, it makes you to feel good about themselves or ourselves or don't have self-doubt limited you or, or anything because what's the fun out of that, you know? So that's what I do. Do you feel the accessibility to mental health or the entitlement to express the need for support in mental health? Like if it's readily available to them? Yeah. Is it, you know, like I said, my son is very young and all the way up until this new school, mental health wasn't really something that was considered. You are all much older than Liam. So I'm wondering if that has been your experience through your life or have you always been offered a mental health outlet? And if it isn't and it was a shift, when that happened and how that felt? Eden, why don't you answer this one? What, in your experience, when you go to the doctor, do they ask you about your mental health? Um, Not really, but I do get experience. Like, for example... One of my biggest things is I have a tendency to walk back and forth, and I don't know how that is related to mental health. But I think for all ages, whether you're young or as an adult, I think that learning how to help mental health is important because it will allow you to know what you need at the moment. For example, I'm at school, and so I have staff who check in on me to make sure that I'm okay. And they break things down for me, and they show me how I can um, take a break, stop, and then focus on what is truthful, what is important. Alexis, you have a really cool job. Does that help you with your mental health, Is it going, being able to work and have a job? Yes. Do you want to tell them about what your job is? I work in Mr. Whalers and the and Woo Sox. And then they may not know what that is in California. The Woo Sox is what sport do they play? It's like Boston West Sox warm team. So you work for a minor league baseball team, right? Yeah. And and what is that job? How does it make you feel having I that job? I feel happy. I'm so excited back to work again. Yeah. And 
Kata, you just do you want to read your comment, Kata? We're on a podcast here. Yeah, I um also like to do lots of, of the reading and the writing because I have such good um, handwriting, and because I find it to be just so uh, relaxing. I, I also like being inspired when uh, looking and taking pictures of inspirational quotes, so that I can be reminded of all the positivity that it, that it makes me feel. So this is for you, Benjamin. So the Sox have a 13-year-old boy with Down syndrome. What would you tell your parents about being a teenager with Down syndrome? What advice would you give to them? So my advice is that their son should uh, control over stress and anxiety instead of letting stress and anxiety uh, to, to take over and control their son. Uh, here's why. It's because even if uh, that uh, Derek Baker, uh, the on TikTok, has has busy because he travels, he he travels because his because of his disability, and he is cool, and he is uh, controlling his own stress and uh, anxiety, and he doesn't let that uh, to control him. Who's that TikToker? I don't know him. Oh, uh, Derek Becker on TikTok? Yeah, I, I follow him. Uh, he has a professional account, and he travels a lot a, a lot at uh, times, and he's a big fan of WWE. Benjamin, what were some ways, uh, when you talk about not letting your stress control you as a young man, um, what were some ways that you expressed being overwhelmed then when you were younger? Well, many years ago, uh, when I was in my teenage years, uh, there was something uh, in my mind, like a voice in my head. Uh, it was like controlling my mental health. And uh, since then, I did something amazing. Uh, like I uh, have been hanging out with my friends from elementary school and also in, in gymnastics. Uh, not just Special Olympics. There is um, gymnastics that I did many years ago. And I had some uh, so much fun with them, especially on, on your birthday. So I have another question for the group. Who here has gone to college or is in college? I'm in college. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I was in this workability college that took for advanced transition skills. I did workability at the same time taking regular college classes at that location and that was fun. Kaylee, do you want to tell us about what you got out of your college experience? Yes, of course. It was like life changing for me. It helped me to be independent. It helped me uh, make new friends and about budgeting and everything. I went to UCLA, so I'm alumni to that one, and to this program called Pathways, and it helps so many people like myself to learn to live independently, what it's like to live on a campus. I made other friends outside of that program, and they were so wonderful and really inclusive. It was the best for me. My mom when I graduated from there, my mom was in tears, being proud of me. She's like my biggest hero, my biggest supportive team. She's like the captain of that team, I would say. 
Like, I want to be like my mom some days. Because in the beginning, before college, with the school system, it didn't help a lot. What my mom wanted me to give guidance from. Because I was, like, young, and I didn't know anything about things like that. But when I went to college, my mom was so happy that I went to college. I was one of the first people with Down syndrome to get a diploma. And the only thing that didn't pass me was math, because that's not my favorite subject. But I had to take algebra to get my diploma, and my mom fight for me. She fought for me. And you know how that is for sure, as parents. They fight for what we believe in. And my mom doesn't stop. We show our abilities, not our disabilities. So my mom thought college would help me a lot. Since college, my goal is to live, to move out, actually, with my best friend. And now things are growing. My mom is helping me a lot. And with college, it was like the best year of my life. I went to the, I'm in an early intervention program now. And I had so many friends. And my my mother said this to my mom. Mom, that did you know that your daughter has, well, I don't want to say it, but they're all one. Oh. Right in front of my mom, as if I don't exist. Like, no, my mom fights for me, and I love that for my mom. So that's what I love about my college life there, because it showed me that I can be independent, having confidence, and making friends out of it. So it's like, school system wasn't, like, great when I was in school, but now they're more accepting of ourselves my brother is like one of my best my family's my best friend actually because they do things for me so I've always wanted to be in college since my brother graduated my sister graduated my older ones I'm out of counting myself I'm out of the four kids but I went to college and I did what I need to do so I took theater and this random guy in my theater group he thought it was too. It was too late coming back to the the um apartment. He was living right next to me, and he offered to drive me back, and I loved that coming from him. So college was the best life for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome, thank you, Kaylee. Thank you. I was going to ask if you felt safe when you were there. Oh, so one time I got lost and I didn't know what to do. So the what I did, I went to a police officer. And he escorted me back to my apartment. So I felt a lot safe. If I was like deserted on one place, that would be easier. Like, they helped me a lot. Kelly, I remember speaking with you and your mother. Yes. I think it was maybe like five years ago. And we and I just did discuss with your mother about the school system. And I remember her telling me, you fight. You fight for the inclusive classroom. You fight. And you don't take what they say. And it's really, as parents, that's when another parent tells you that. It almost, it, I don't know. I guess it gives you permission because the, the rest of the world is telling you otherwise. But it was your mom saying, no, you, you fight. You keep him in that classroom. He can do everything that every other student can do. And I remember you had a great conversation with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of those things that just like, you know, this this meeting here, other people will see that and go, oh, okay. Well, I say this in a film, but mothers knows best for our kids. Of course, our fathers, obviously in the family, but you got to admit, moms do a lot of work for them. 
Mm-hmm. That's kind of even balancing for me. It was kind of hard for my mom because she had to pay a lot of things for me. And she put me into mixed classes so I could make new friends out of it, too. Do you feel like you had that inclusive environment at the school as far as like being able to be with all different people, all different people? Or do you feel like you were segregated into uh, the program? So I didn't know I had a disability until my mom told me and put me into classes. But my mom doesn't see that one bit. She just know I just make great friends. But we don't segregate it into one small group, like a pod. It's all inclusive. It's like the best environment. Like I met these really great people. And that's from like with me down here, Manhattan Beach, you know. And I used to be really shy. Like now I'm not though, but <laughs> then I was. So it was hard for me personally, but. I didn't know what I was living with kind of thing, if that makes sense, because I met my uh, first best friend here on Manhattan Beach. And then in summer school, they put us in like in separate groups, just with special needs. It's like non-typical kind of thing together. And they were like, if I was stuck on a, on a work or whatever it is in each subject, they helped me. They helped me write notes because... When I um, write slow and I can't catch up, so I had to have an aide to help me to write the notes, I, even in college, too. Kato, uh, at your school, I, we're, you were like the mayor of the school. So so when I lived in Madison, Kato knew every single person in town, and she knew them all from college. She must have been the, the queen of the college ball. Yes, I was. I made so many friends though, when I was in college and of all my college friends who I have good friends with, um, uh, the one college friend that I enjoy having as a friend a whole lot is the person that I'm, uh, I'm living with. So there's that. And as um, Eric said, it is true because I, I do know a lot of people where I went to college and I mean, I'm not the queen of the ball, but Whenever I see someone, I would, I would come up to them and say, "Hi, I do remember me. I'm Kata." Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, hi Kata." So that's why I, I, I'm so well known, and I still know so many people. As for me, uh, then we actually go to college, but it just in terms of college we went to, but um, I think. The same thing as uh, well in case it's said earlier, but uh, I was getting on my uh, money management, paying the bills and the rents uh, from the apartment. And uh, in case uh, you don't know, that the reason why I go to head over my job is because as soon as it needs to work, and because uh, Bonaparte is like low in, in tax cuts, so I go to let off of work. And so right now I'm planning to um become a grammar chef uh, once I get in a job like Chipotle and some other things. And my plan is to um get back into where actual college, like Boston College, Boston University, something like that. So uh, that is what I'm planning to go back, uh, back to school and uh I was uh, just thinking that many of other adults with uh, disabilities, like 
autism, learning disability, something like that, uh, they would be interested in independent living. And my plan is to help other people's lives. Most adults with autism, they can like have a business of their own, a family, and you know. So I, I want to bring that up. We believe the same thing, Benjamin. Um, but how do you all feel as far as the accessibility to those things that you want for your life and also the reception that you receive in pursuing those things? Like, Do you, do you feel, um, you had mentioned about going back to work at Chipotle. Do you feel like when you go in and you fill out an application, is that something that I'm just going to go in and fill out an application, or do you feel like there's something else, some other challenge that you have to meet? Well, I applied online. Uh, the application is online, and um, I, I went uh, for the interview. So um, uh, they were have to check back in with them, and they they wanted me know if I did get uh, get a job because if it did. Uh, I'll just go step by step, you know. Awesome, Benjamin. Goose, why don't you tell tell us about your job? How, how do you fit in with your job? Do, do, do you get along with your employees? You've been there a really long time, right? Uh, yes. W- what job do you do? I'm a bagger. At what store? I play a giant. How do you get along with your, your coworkers? I'll do okay. And then what about the other job that you had in the summer? You want to tell everyone what you did in the summer? Oh, yeah. Co-wishes, working with you and Ashley. Yeah, we had Goose in person this past summer and hopefully this summer too as our intern. So she works at Boston University in the summers. Nice. Hmm. I had to work related to you. So I started in 2018 to this time called Entertainment Industry Foundation. And in the beginning, I haven't met my boss because she was up in New York because we have two headquarters. And when I was up there, they told me, oh, my gosh, I love her personality. I love her smile and everything she does. And then after that, everyone at EIF um, is, like, so welcoming and so inclusive with everything. And I even had a best friend at work. And now we get along super great with each other. I've been working with them for almost five years since April. And it's my longest job with them. And I'm their front desk administrator and receptionist. I just love the environment they gave to me when I came into the job process and getting the interview that was wonderful. And it was amazing. I was like, yeah, this is made for me right here. I love it. I have a question because, you know, I think last time we spoke with you and Kata, it was a light bulb moment because I remember asking about the stereotypes and metaphors that people will will put on you. And I remember, Kata, I believe you said that you just don't notice them. And it for me, it was a real um, insight because I feel like as a parent, I notice every discrimination against my son. I notice every judgment. I notice I notice it all. I see it all. But for Liam, who's Liam, he doesn't really pay, unless it's like an outwardly someone just being unkind, he doesn't pay attention to that stuff that really shifted my focus. If it doesn't bother Liam, then 
it shouldn't bother me. It's not really his problem if people have a, a limited point of view. And my question to you guys, do you feel supported in your abilities? Do you feel not under, not underestimated when you're doing a job? Maybe a goose. Yeah. Goose. Do you feel supported? Yeah. Yeah. I will. So, so this summer, well, this summer was a long time ago now, but goose gave a final presentation to the whole school. And we had about what, 35 people come out to hear you talk yes. and support you for your presentation. Right. And, and, you know, we, there was cake, but they were not bribed with cake. They came to see Goose and then they got cake. It wasn't a bribe. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Alexis? Do you feel supported? That's a nod. Yes. <laughs> I have a supportive parents. I also got, uh, have support from DABS, which is Development Ability uh, Behavioral Services uh, is a program. Uh, where adults with a dance room uh, goes out to look for jobs and volunteer. Like for me, I, I volunteer at DSCOC and I've been doing that for like five years uh, since it first started. So I also get support from them and include my parents too because my parents are in consider because uh, they are my guardians ever since the beginning, 30 years ago. So basically uh, I have support. That's great, Benjamin. Now, I, I'm curious, we had a conversation earlier, and I know some people on our team might have questions for you, Stephen and Lori. Does anyone have a question they want to ask them? I know I think Kaylee mentioned she's got a question. I do, actually. What advice do you want to give to other people who want to start a podcast for them? And say myself, for example, what, what do you say to them? You know, podcasting is a great way to share information. It's kind of um, going back, I've said it so many times, going back to kind of old school radio where you can just dial in your specific interest and you can find information. Probably uh, the hardest thing as a new podcaster is that there's literally millions of podcasts. So how can you get your podcast heard? First, it kind of starts with, because the production, producing a podcast is easy enough that you can talk into a phone and just get it done. But then at that point, how, how do you get your voice heard and it's kind of a common thread that we work on as parents how do we have Liam have his voice heard right well it starts small it starts with kind of word of mouth and um, it, it builds and you just I always think even if someone's not listening to your podcast right away you're building a and categorizing like a library of information or a library of episodes that you're putting together to be listen to whenever. It could be uh, in years to come when someone comes upon your podcast and sees 200 episodes of you uh, giving out your information or telling your story, and then they have this novel to read. Mine's simpler, and it's just that I think everybody has their story, and I think everybody's story is very important, and I think that we learn from each other and we teach each other at the same time. And if you know, in your heart, you're like, I want to, I want to do a podcast that, and that's the way you tell your story. Then, then you do it and you put it out there and you just keep putting it out there. And, you know, like he said, you don't know, like we don't, I, I always think of Hamilton, you know, like Alexander Hamilton. He had no idea that Lin-Manuel was going to come along so far after and, and retell the story. Um, and I think that instead of limiting what you consider success, 
I think we just, you just put your story out there, whatever information it is, and you never know what's going to build on that. You don't know what you're going to change. You don't know who you're going to reach. And it's just the beauty of, of sharing your story, I think is, is really important. When Liam was born, if I would have come across a podcast made by you, Kaylee, speaking and telling your story and your accomplishments and your mom's fight for her at your education, that you went to college and all of that would have gone against every single thing I was told. It shoots down about 15 of the things they told me my son would never do. And here's someone doing it. So someone's wrong and it's not the person who's on the same path as my son. We'll look back on this moment when Kaylee wins the first Grammy for podcasting. That's right. I'm actually I'm learning in the red with the podcast. Well, my major goal is actually to have my own talk show. So I thought maybe a podcast would help me to get there. So I'm hoping to make that happen. Kata was talking about that too. Maybe you and Kata could join together. That would be a dynamic show. You can host it on your podcast network. You'll start a down syndrome podcast network and then they can be your your show i had a question for the researchers and that is what brought you to eric what was it that inspired your desire to be a part of this research and the down syndrome community emily or i guess i can go um i studied biology um in college and picked up a minor in public health And it was such an eye-opening experience. In one of my first public health classes, I had a professor talk about disabilities and, you know, how that relates to our health and the kinds of healthcare that we receive, like, from that angle. I have a parent with a disability, so I've grown up having to help, like, advocate for him, especially in times where he's sick or hospitalized. And it is such a fight just for basic healthcare, you know, even from the specialist who specialized in his spinal cord injury. So my professor sent me Eric's email and we got in touch and I was really excited to hop on a project, you know, about disability and disability and health and bringing in the advocacy part of it as well. Thank you, Emily. So I got into touch with Eric and when I was interviewing for this position, I remember talking to Eric and Ashley and they were so passionate about uh, Down syndrome research in the community. It's like, it's infectious. You know, it, 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 I know it fired me up to really uh, be a part of this team. And now working with everyone has been such a great and rewarding experience. And I'm, I'm excited for all the research we're going to do to, to come out and add to the literature of the Down syndrome community. I also want to add that I pay everyone. Yeah, that's right. We discussed that last time. That's right. It's a moral thing, but it also, it's a good motivator too, is when, when everybody gets paid. Well, I remember the first time that we heard Eric and it was, I understand that inspiring because I just, um, we still have to have a conversation about ableism, Eric. Um, I just, I just remember the, some of the words that I heard come out of his mouth. It was the first time that I had ever heard. And we've spoken to quite a few professionals, but it was the first time that we'd ever heard some of the language and topics that he spoke about in such an equal and inclusive manner. He's very inspirational. I remember after Eric started talking at, at the T21 conference, I mean, I Lori like, and I looked at each you other. Got, we got to like, get him. Oh my we got to talk to him. We have to this talk guy, to him. Like, it was great. It was fantastic. just about, it was, I mean, I think it was the first time that we heard anyone mention sex 
yeah. and equality and inclusion. We did like no one does that. Like there's a certain lack of equality. Like we're equal, oh, not that equal. Do you know we're we'll talk about things, not those things. And and that was you know behind my do you do you feel you know supported because I I feel like there's still a, a lot of work that needs to be done. And the I, I feel like society has this vision of what they feel is equal compared to what is actually equal. Because as parents, we had to beg for everything for our son as far as education. And we were like told, and I was actually told, you should be thankful. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> but some more, um, Anna Marie, Karen, you were um, muted before, Karen, when you tried to talk. Yes. So I actually joined a little bit later, October um, of last year, but I saw a job posting for the co-researcher team. And it was the first time I had ever seen research of that sort, especially um, so inclusive. So I actually emailed him and I was like, is there any way I can be of help? (laughs) And then he ended up finding a spot for me. Um, It's really, really inspiring work. And I hope that more researchers do more of it. And um, Karen, do you maybe want to give a plug for our webinar coming up in March? Yes, we are doing a webinar on World Down Syndrome Day, which is March 21st. We got funding from the T21RS, and we have four core researcher teams from all different places uh, presenting their work. We have a panel discussion with Eric and a few other PIs. And then um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mallory Sir. She's the program manager of children and youth with special health care needs. She is our keynote speaker, and she'll be ending the talk talking about ableism, actually, in public health. Can any co-researchers flag our survey that we have? So, basically, we have the survey to help people to grow and to be more independent, and it can help with your mental health. So, the survey on mental health is important because it allows the researchers to do their work effectively. So they will know how to better help people like me who have Down syndrome. So I recommend you take the survey so that you can help us to grow and also help the researchers with their work. Eric and Ashley are the ones that take that data from the researchers to say, okay, so this is what we can help people with Down syndrome to do. And so that's why the survey is important, and I recommend it. And it's really helpful and inspiring. Thank you, Eden. And Eric, is it on your website or no? There will be a link to it from our website. It's for adults with Down syndrome 18 and older, but we encourage caregivers to help their loved ones fill it out. There's nothing against the rules for that. We're we're just sticking to adults for this one because, you know, Healthcare is very different for adults and kids. So maybe the next one we do, if the co-researcher are interested, we'll we'll look at mental health in, in the schools. Well, then go ahead and plug your website, Eric. So it's sites.bu.edu slash Rubenstein, R-U-B-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. So if you are listening to this podcast, just go down to the show notes and click on the link and do the survey. How long does the survey take? Ryan, how long does it take? It's about, it's 22 questions. It should not take more than 20 minutes. Wonderful. We want to thank you all for joining us today. It was so fantastic for you to let us in on your group. We, we can't wait to check in with you again sometime. Thank you for the work you're doing. And thank you for this moment and the lives that you're changing. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.
Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and